In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. You may be seated. So, I'm wondering, does praying come easily to you? It doesn't to me. Sorry. I was raised in a skeptical home, taught to doubt everything, to find a rational explanation for everything. My mind wanders, and truth be told, there's a certain amount of pride. I think I can figure things out on my own, get things done on my own. So prayer, prayer, prayer is hard. But do you remember the, um, the, the great hailstorm of, I think it was 1992, all over Central Florida? That, that hailstorm brought down our back porch, and our whole family was in the family room. We just watched it cave. So um, my, my kids, the oldest was five, they dropped to their knees immediately and started praying. My reaction was a little different. I'm going to clean it up a little bit. I'm going to go like, oh, dear. <laughs> and then I started praying. It's just not my first inclination. Well, why then do I pray? Well, because I'm told to. Simple as that. And I'm so grateful. Well, in the first place, I'm so grateful for prayer warriors who carry us and carry me, but I'm even more grateful for the Lord's Prayer. Let me show you how the pattern that Jesus offers here helps me by shaping my praying. Now, first, this is not in the text, um, I inventory when I sit down because I know it's useless for me not to just gather all of who I am to be before God. And I think that's what he wants. You know, God answered Job because Job spoke to God and let him know what was on his heart. God didn't speak to the, to the friends who talked a good game but never talked to God. God wants me. He wants to hear what's on my heart, everything, the good and the bad. He wants me to bring my whole being into his presence, whether, I, whether it's going to get purging or directing or confirming or affirming. He wants to hear what's on my heart. And then he wants to shape my heart. And so I inventory my schedule, the things that worry me, the decisions I'm going to have to make that day, the things I'm afraid of, my hopes, the grievances I carry around, needs of those around me, and the aches of this sad world. Yet fill, in, fill in your own blanks. You know, we are a kingdom of priests, and it's part of our call, just as the high priest in the, old, in the old covenant bore the names of the 12 tribes on his breastplate when he went into the nearer presence of the Lord in the Holy of Holies. So it's our call to bring the needs of all the tribes and the families and the nations of the world near and far to the throne of grace. And then here's how the Lord's Prayer Luke's simplified version. It's a little more streamlined than, than the version in Matthew. Here's how the Lord's Prayer orders my praying in six crisp phrases. 
And if you care to follow, it's on page 55 of the New Testament section in your pew Bible, just in case you don't happen to bring your own Bible and want to follow. Page 55. Three phrases. Well, uh, the first is actually not, it's a separate phrase in your, in your uh, Bible, but in the, in the Testament that I use in, in my own study, the first word, Father, is set out as its own phrase, and I think that's lovely. First, Father. My father did the best he could, but I don't recall him ever saying to me what Jesus' father said to him when he came up out of the baptismal water. You are my beloved son. In you, I take great delight. Or to paraphrase, kid, I love you and you make me happy. I don't ever remember hearing my dad say that to me. My dad did lots of stuff with me. He taught me how to play golf as best he could because I was never very good. Taught me how to play baseball, tennis, took me on trips to the library, taught me how to drive. Oh man, I remember the twinkle in his eye when he took us, when he took me out on a dirt road out west of Plantation in our um, Rambler three-speed on the column, which meant it had a clutch and brakes. Well, there was like no preparation for this at all. Put me in the driver's seat and say, go, kid. And I'm going like, what? You just, he says, just pull the clutch out, put the gas down, you'll be fine. And I'm going, do you learn to drive that way? And I just remember looking across and my dad just grinning at me. So again, we were out in a dirt road, so nothing got really hurt. But I, I learned, but okay, so... He took the family on vacations, provided food, shelter, motivated me to learn and to achieve. And for all that, I'm grateful. And, and, and I know that it's far more that many people get from their fathers. But I never heard, kid, you know what? I love you and you make me happy. Here's the thing. We have the same father as Jesus. And this father says to us, kid, I love you and you make me happy. This is the father who does not give a stone or a snake or a scorpion, but as he did with his own son, he gives the empowering, enlivening, and encouraging spirit his own presence to dwell within. Prayer, I submit, needs to start here. Father, taking in that love and all that that love cost, because the Bible's view is that we are children at great cost, brought into the family, having a place set for us at the divine dining table by the blood of the one who is teaching us this prayer. And so my prayer begins, Father, thank you for a love and a care that are beyond comprehension. Thank you in Jesus for being my dad. Second, hallowed be your name. 
Here we're talking about being divinely different. Hallowed is just an older way of saying, be holy. God says he is, and being holy is simply being different than. God, as holy, says he is different than all the other gods out there. The other gods are just projections of ourselves. The other gods are as finicky, as arbitrary, and as mean as we are. The God of the Bible, God our Heavenly Father, is different. He is both just and compassionate, both righteous and merciful, both loving that which is good and hating that which is evil. And he calls us to be different like him. Be holy as I am holy. Leviticus chapter 11 verse 44 and picked up in 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 16. This portion of Jesus' prayer, hallowed be your name, this portion of Jesus' prayer prompts me to linger over how not different I am from the world, how mixed my motives are, and you, you, I'll spare you the details, how far the gap is between his holiness and the holiness I'm called to aspire to. The gap between the me I am and the me I am called to be and want to be, wholly apart for him. And then again, this portion, let your name be holy, prompts me to thank him for a work that he has really begun in me, as Paul says, that he will see through to completion on the day of Christ Jesus. That's Philippians chapter 1, verse 6. Look it up and let it burn into your consciousness. Or my college friends and I used to sport a, uh, a pin with a button on it with the letters P-B-P-G-I-N-F-W-M-Y. Does it ring a bell for anybody? P-B-P-G-I-N-F-W-M-Y. Because there was a teacher back then who taught Please be patient. God is not finished with me yet. Please be patient. God is not finished with me yet. P-B-P-G-I-N-F-W-M-Y. It's a great conversation starter. And a reminder to ourselves. Third, your kingdom come. Perspective on our decisions. I feel like I face a thousand decisions a day which has been multiplied by 10 for the last two plus years with COVID, where there's, there's like no manual for what you're really supposed to be doing. But really, most of my daily decisions are pretty small. Am I going to the gym today? Is it my day to take the dishes out of the dishwasher? But some decisions are of some consequence. You know, there's a lot going on in our cathedral life. You have your own range of decisions, big decisions, little decisions. In all of it, Jesus wants me to have a kingdom in mind. He wants me to dare to think of my little decisions as playing their small part in an epic drama of royalty. An epic drama in which a king is being returned to his throne. An epic in which we are lords and ladies, knights and dukes and duchesses. 
C.S. Lewis teaches us to thirst for Narnia, cleanse of the white witch. J.R.R. Tolkien teaches us to long for a fellowship of the ring that leads to the demise of Sauron and to the return of the king. Even the Marvel Universe helps us imagine the ascension of Thor and Asgard and the demise of Thanos. And oh my goodness, even George R.R. Martin makes us long for the day when there's the demolition of an iron throne made of swords. And when there is enthroned a brand, a youth who's lost the use of his legs. All of it, I submit, answers to a longing God has placed in us for of his own reclamation of this universe that he loves. Even Hosea's indictment that we read today points to the day when not my people become my people, not loved, become loved, not married, become married. Because of the coronation of a king with nail marks on his ankles and in his wrists and with the marks of a thorny, a, a, a thorny reef on his brow. In the way of praying that Jesus teaches, your kingdom come, he tells us to lean in to that day and in the now to lean into justice, to the righting of wrongs, to the raising up of the, of the lowly, and to the bringing down of the wrongly exalted. As Nelson Pinder's son said yesterday in his eulogy to his father, to get involved. And in the first place, Jesus would have us get involved on our knees. And to do it in the little things, because the big obediences and the big kingdom victories grow out of the little ones. Fourth, and I'm sorry, this is very unepiscopalian. I got a six, I have a six point sermon, but we'll be, we'll be out of here by noon, I promise. Fourth, give us this day our daily bread. Here it's focusing on what we really need. Notice this is the first time that Luke's version of the Lord's Prayer uses the first person plural, our daily bread. Our daily bread. Jesus says, sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. That is, pay attention to what's right in front of you. Let tomorrow take care of tomorrow. Second, here, here, is where, here, is, here is where I pray for the concrete needs of myself and of others. And also, there's one thing that it's hard to pick up in the English. The, the word that it's in the Greek that stands behind daily is a unique word. It's epousion. It means uh, at being or for being. And the early church understood and intuited that the bread that is for being is Jesus himself, who has offered himself in the bread of which we partake when we come to the Eucharist, which is why in, in the ancient liturgies, they did what we do. 
and that is at the end of the Eucharistic prayer, there's the climax into the Lord's prayer because this, this is the bread that we need to sustain us from day to day. And so we pray each day fortified by the for being bread that we get here. We pray for food and shelter, for health and well-being. You know, you, the, the long list of people that we all have. And lists, I pray, that become more and more expansive every day. Persecuted Christians around the globe, Ukrainians and Russians, refugees from Central America, our friends and our sister churches in Honduras, fellow citizens trapped in prisons of addiction and poverty. Fifth, forgive us our sins as we forgive everyone indebted to us. My inventory, honestly, and yours does too, I'm sure, consists of grievances, consists of grievances I bear, people who've hurt me, people I have a hard time forgiving. There's a very simple logic here. In the first place, grievances I bear only hurt me, not them. And God simply tells, them, tells me, treat them the way he has treated my sorry self with a mercy I haven't merited in any way. And that's the only way I can know his mercy. Forgive them, Father, for you have forgiven me. And six, and do not bring us to the time of trial. The Bible's perspective, in a nutshell, is God tests, the devil tempts. Now, if, if I had time, I would do the seminary lecture that explains how in Greek there's this lovely thing that happens where the Greek uses the same word for test and for tempt. And it so happens that God does testing, the devil does tempting, same word. But here, to put it in a nutshell, here's what the Bible is teaching. And here's what this prayer presupposes. The things the devil would use to appeal to my worst inclinations, temptations, that surface with disappointments at work, opportunities to cheat, inclinations to make somebody else look bad. When they come up, let them, let them prove to be opportunities for God to prove my character, my trustworthiness, my faithfulness, my kindness, my generosity. So, by way of recap, I offer what I can on the Lord's Prayer and its pattern of praying. I take my inventory and I run them through this grid. Father, let me hear today, kid, I love you and you make me smile. Let your name be holy. Father, let me be different from the world, really deep down in my heart and then out there, outwardly in what people see. Third, let your kingdom come. 
Give me wisdom for my life and work your goodwill in my life and in the lives of those around me and beyond that in the world that you love and that you reclaim. And fourth, this day, this day, daily bread. Let me pay attention today to you and your provision with thanks for the bread of life which sustains each and every day and provide not just what I need today, provide for what everybody needs. Fifth, forgive, Jesus says, as God forgives. Grant me, Lord, the mercy to clear the slate this day and lead us not. Lord, here are the potential pitfalls I see before me today. Protect me from them and from the ones I don't foresee. Let every one of them prove to be a way you trounce the tempter and make Christ more fully formed in me and make me more fully formed in him. Now to him who is able to do exceeding abundantly beyond all that we could ask or even think, to him be the glory in Christ Jesus and in the church now and forevermore. Amen.